This is episode 15B of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. I'm your host, Eli. No, I'm not. I'm Andrew. I was going to say, this is your host, Eli. Oh my gosh. Uh, you really, you really said that. All right, that was on out. purpose. I'm Andrew, <laughs> and um, roses are red, violets are blue. I'm a schizophrenic, and so am I. And I'm Eli. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. We want people to think we're really organized, and so we split episodes into A and B, and not that it was a retroactive decision. And we'll just leave it there. So, yes. episode 15B. Yeah, let's just let's pick up where we left off. So. Uh, listeners, if you are, if this is the first episode you're ever listening to, uh, (laughs) so this is 15 B, you definitely need to listen to 15 A. As would be implied by the, we're talking about the highest mountain in the Caucasus mountains of, of Russia and the highest mountains mountains in Europe, Europe. which is Mount Elbrus, E-L-B-R-U-S, but if you're just tuning in for the first time, we really encourage you to to go back to the beginning. Um, and just we've been talking all about this kind of hidden region of the world, the North Caucasus Mountains of Russia. Um, beautiful place, fascinating people, languages, cultures, traditions. Um, Eli and I live here. We're Americans. Um, That's right. So, like, we're we have a unique perspective, um, listeners, because we're not from here, but we live here and. Yeah, we just have really loved all we've learned about the people here and history and um, yeah. just life. And so we, we just want to invite you kind of into this place. Yeah, I like, to, I like to call it an inside-out perspective because we're outsiders living on the inside and we're sharing with other outsiders from our perspective of what life and life, is, life here is like. Also, if you Google or if you do a news search on the caucuses, you will inevitably get almost entirely negative news, which is unfortunate. I mean, that's how it is in a lot of the world. But yeah. uh, to this day, much of what outsiders know about the North Caucasus is sparse, incomplete, sometimes not even true, uh, negative scraps of data. And we just want to weigh in with um, a lot of the positives because there are that's a right. lot in, in growing. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. That's definitely yeah. our goal. Um, there are a lot of just great honorable things about uh, the North Caucasus and their people. And I mean, you know, Ultimately, it comes down to when you get to know people, um, that kind of humanizes everything. And so we have just lots of good, special friends here that, you know, make it when, when you live in another country and you're, you're learning another language and you live in that language, yeah. ultimately the thing that's the difference maker, kind of the deal breaker is whether or not you have good friends, you know, and we do Definitely. have good friends here in the Caucasus that have helped it make it home for us. Uh, and so we're appreciative of that. Word to that. Yeah. All right. So we're going to keep this series going about Mount Elbrus, highest mountain in Europe. And uh, this is kind of an overarching category, but I'm calling it what happens on top of the mountain stays on top of the mountain. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've not been appraised of this uh, category, but let's no, go but with it. Basically, there's a lot of interesting things in the last 100 years that have happened on top of Mount Elbrus, kind of up there where the climbers acclimatize at base camp, but also at the actual peak. And uh, it's really interesting. 
Yeah. Now, wouldn't wouldn't the fact that you're about to share these with us mean that what happens on the top of the mountain doesn't actually stay on top of the mountain? Until the internet, they <laughs> stayed on top of the mountain. <laughs> the interwebs brought them to us. Okay. Yeah. But uh, anyways, yeah, this will just be a eclectic smattering of uh, historical Ooh. tidbits for you. So this is like a, a news minute with... Uh, on steroids. Like, on steroids. Let's hear them. Yeah. Okay. So uh, going back to World War II, so uh, listeners, um, a lot of you, I mean, this, is, this could be a separate episode, but um, a lot of you may either have forgotten or didn't realize that uh, Western Europe and America were allies in, or, and Russia were allies in World War II. We fought yes. together against the Nazis. Um, and so, um, and Russia, World War II is, was a huge deal here because uh, Russia was invaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the, the entire Western part of the country was invaded. And so uh, they were fighting on their, their home soil, their homeland. Uh, and there were several years of the war where uh, different parts of Russia were under Nazi control, including the Caucasus Mountains. Unbelievably. Yeah, including Elbrus. So there was about a six-month stretch at the end of 1942 into the start of 1943 that the Elbrus region was under Nazi control. Part of um, Germany. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, thank goodness um, they were the Germans or the Nazis were pushed back um, and there was a lot of fight- fighting that actually happened on Mount Elbrus. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and so uh, there actually is a memorial uh, up at the base camp. Um, you know what? I think it's at the second level, not all the way okay. at the, the base camp. Yeah, it's at the second level. Um, the base camp being the top of the third level. Base camp the is base the camp third, for climbers. third level up um, of the cable cars. Uh, but... The second level, there's a war memorial to all uh, soldiers from the Soviet Union who died defending basically Elbrus. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, one really interesting thing is that you can tell by the last names um, where people were from. So you can tell if it's like a Caucasus, like a Balkor, a Karachai name, mm, or a Georgian name, names. or a Georgian okay. name, or a Russian name, or a Ukrainian name. Yeah, because the endings are different. And there are a lot of Georgian names on there. Uh, they often Georgian names often end with Vili, V-I-L-I. Um, and, I mean, Elbrus, if you look at a map, it's right on the border with Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, during the days of the Soviet Union, there was a lot of coming and going between those peoples. Um, and so, anyways, um, yeah, that's a really interesting kind of historical tidbit about Elbrus. Yeah, um, yeah so... We'll we'll go up. We'll be more positive from there. But uh, next, totally unrelated and extremely random, uh, <laughs> Elbrus is very well known as having the world's worst outhouse on it. <laughs> Did you see that now, coming? When you say very well known. Infamous. It makes me feel like I should hit my forehead and be like, oh, yeah, that's where it is. I, yeah, you maybe know? not well known. <laughs> I heard that before. No, but maybe in certain circles, yeah. like outhouse makers, <laughs> it is. So it apparently well is like, I mean, yeah, uh, it's pretty, pretty well right. widespread. So in 1991, where I'm getting this information, 
<laughs> before the internet, uh, Outside Magazine, they declared that the world's worst house is on top of Elbrus. And it's there that, at the base camp. They probably... They probably rank among people who could make such a declaration. I don't know if Outside Magazine has the clout to declare things, but anyway. They are experts in all things outside um, or outhouse. Um, <laughs> yeah, but apparently the thing about this um, outhouse is it's really hard to get to. You have to like somehow try to climb these frozen <laughs> steps to get up to it. You have to really need it. <laughs> and then once you get in there... Uh, there's like, you know, the opening where you do your thing, there's like a, it basically hangs over the edge of the mountain. And so there's constantly a blast of cool, fresh air (laughs) coming up (laughs) in the extremities. (laughs) And what's really funny about it, you can read about this and we have a hilarious article posted about a person's experience trying to find this outhouse. Oh my gosh. Um, But everything's totally frozen. Oh. Naturally. Yeah. So apparently, like, it kind of looks disgusting when you go in there, but everything's frozen, so there's zero smell. So it actually can't grow. That's the answer. That's the answer <laughs> to to having my children. So in our, we will give them, we will freeze our bathroom, and <laughs> then no matter what our children do, in everything there, goes. <laughs> it it won't stink. All right. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, so anyways, that's, I know, really random, uh, but... uh, You know, Andrew, I've been, my wife's family has a family reunion in Washington State at a place that claims to be the largest outhouse west of the Mississippi. Wow. (laughs) This is one of those claims. It must have been passed down from, like, like pioneer men in the 1800s, you know, it's like, well, that's the largest outhouse I've seen back since we crossed the Mississippi. <laughs> because it obviously asked, you know, well, where's the largest outhouse east of it? But anyway, and I don't know how one verifies these things or if one should. Um, but if I hilarious. could go to the largest and then also to the uh, worst, man, two notches on my outhouse belt right there. I'm, I can't say I'm going to be like seeking this out now, but I'm intrigued. Next time I'm up there. <laughs> I'm going to ask around and see if I can at least get a picture of it or something. All right. Let me just, let me just weigh in and tell you, I think I've been to one of the most um, picturesque outhouses ever. Oh, okay. And this was in the Tian Shan mountains in Kazakhstan. It wasn't way high up. It was grassy and beautiful, but you're on this trail, which is wooded and on a ridge and then these meadows kind of fall off the shoulders of the mountains to the left and right, just drop off down, and then huge green mountains rise up, uh, you know, on the other side of the of the valley. Anyway, this outhouse is like a beeline straight out this little meadow, and then right as it started to get steep, there's the outhouse facing out, and it had no door. Nice. Nice. I mean, it was really nice. I mean, you thought even if there's someone over there, like, you know, they're so far away. And it was just beautiful. It was quiet, breezy. Not a cold blast in the nether regions. How was the smell? I don't recall. I must have been (laughs) transported by the view. Let's move on. (laughs) Anyway, so we'll have uh, in the show notes a link. that You got to check this article out, listeners. It's pretty funny about that. Um, Okay. Next random fact. What happened on the mountain stays on the mountain. Okay. Um, literally, stay, this one stays stay uh-huh. on the mountain. Um, so, in 1997, this is kind of like a Russian um, 
kind of an extreme, extreme explorer kind of guy, Alexander Abramov, his, what's his name? He drove, oh. he got a car all the way to the top. The literal peak. Now, you corrected yourself by saying he drove and then you said he got. <laughs> all right. So both happened. He, okay. he and his team of explorers, they drove a Land Rover. Oh. Um, they drove it from the foot of the mountain up to the base camp. Oh. Yeah. So you can drive, or at least they could drive. Yes. Um, and it made it. But then they tried to get it all the way to the peak. Yeah. And naturally, they basically had to like pull it up the mountain, like with winch and chain. Did it? Um, it couldn't handle it? Literally, the car was falling apart because of the <laughs> elevation and how extreme <gasps> oh, it was. The elevation, the elevation and like the extreme conditions. Because there's no gravity up there. No, uh, sorry. <laughs> It's crazy. <laughs> Bolts are floating away. No, no, no. But it affected it, really, the, that elevation. Yeah, and so it took them 43 days <laughs> to get from base camp to the top. And With that included That included multiple times they would send people back down to, to oh land. Oh, gosh. <laughs> to the real world, and they had to get different parts for the car <laughs> that would fall off or break. Now, why do you need another one of these? Because... <laughs> Because our car is halfway between base camp and the peak. <laughs> but um, they oh made gosh. it. They made it. And so, like, they're Good in the Guinness. Good for them. This is the highest a car has ever been. <laughs> I mean. In, in the world. This is one of those records. It's like, oh. Yeah, it's okay. like a Guinness World Book of Records. Well, you can have it. And so, they left the Land Rover up there and basically came down to celebrate for a couple of weeks, um, do their interviews oh, and all man. that stuff. Then they came back up the mountain to bring it down. And apparently, apparently they didn't learn their lesson. <sighs> and somebody tried to drive it down from the top. <laughs> <laughs> and the car started like careening. The guy ejected and he was safe. But the car literally crashed down the mountain. And oh. like it's still to this day, its remnants are sitting in a bed of rocks on the side of Elbrus. Oh, that is a thing of beauty right yeah. there. That is that is the way, you know what all the other Land Rovers in the world are, are like, man, what a way to go. <laughs> <laughs> they they wish they could have their remains scattered on the side yeah. of Elbers. Yeah, so, boy, so I don't know, man. If but, I had 43 days, I don't think I'd spend it doing that. But, hey, to each his own. There we're, we're talking about it now, so... <laughs> To this day, or I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're suckers or if they <laughs> achieved their goal or what. We got to find these guys and let them know that we gave them a shout out. Yeah. Anyways, that's pretty cool. Hats off. We do want to give a shout out to uh, they. Anybody in the Guinness World Book of Records deserves a shout out. So Alexander Abramov, good job. Um, woot woot. All right, next one. So okay. Again, we've talked about how because Elbrus is the highest mountain in Europe. Um, it might not be well known around the world to your average person, but it's very well known among alpinists, mountain climbers, adventurers, um, et cetera. And now, let so, me just say this. Wait, hold on. You finish your thought. Well, so um, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Let me just say this. For those people who like the idea of mountaineering or, or do, like uh, accomplishing a big mountain, 
bear with me. I think Elbrus is a pretty sweet option. Now, you're thinking we're as like, you know, as close as Timbuktu. But if you're in Europe, you know, a flight to Moscow is a few hours. Yep. And then a flight from Moscow to Pitigorsk is two hours. That's and then right. it's a three-hour drive. So yep. we're talking one day of travel, like one hard day of travel could get you from Western Europe to the foot of Mount Elbrus. Yeah, that's and a good then point. Yeah. there are technical routes, but the main route is non-technical. Yeah, it's a really I mean, good you point. have to you have to get in shape and all that, but like it's just hiking. So you could summit one of the world's seven summits. Just, you know, take a couple weeks out and do I mean, it, you know, like yeah, I know it's a big trip, but still, compared to some of the other mountains out there. <laughs> so yeah. just put just putting that out there. Yeah, it's just hiking, guys. It's just hiking. <laughs> <I> uh, just... <laughs> <laughs> what are you complaining about? <laughs> I'm I'm sure uh our upcoming interview with uh Milo, who's an American gonna climbing. Humiliate guy, me and be like, will, Yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. He will about. rebuke us for our our amateur <laughs> amateur hour thoughts. Um, All right. no. yeah, so um the next one that stays on so, the mountain. Anyways, the reason I'm bringing that up is because there are several worldwide events that happen on Mount Elbrus every year that are really well known in kind of the like extreme athlete realm. So I don't even know if you oh. knew about this, uh, Eli. Um, one is called the Elbrus Race, and this happens every year, May 1st to 8th. Um, what so kind of a race is it? A foot race? It's It's... It's a winter sport. There's different winter sport competitions because oh. May in May on Elbrus, there's still snow. People are skiing, snowboarding. Um, it's kind of wrapping up the winter season there. Yeah. Um, so some of the races are, there's a, a high-speed race. Uh, we're talking about like in the snow. There's a vertical kilometer race. Wait a minute. A, a, a high-speed in a vehicle or just like? It's some form of winter sports. So it's <laughs> okay. either, I, I don't have all the details on that, but it, it might involve either skiing or climbing. Uh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a snowshoe right. race and then a ski mountaineering race. Sweet. So it's kind of like people from around the world who are into like extreme winter sports. They converge uh-huh. on Elbrus for that week. Uh, and listeners, May 1st and May 9th are huge Russian holidays. And so it's right there in that chunk of time perfect um so anyways yeah that's one it's called the elbrus race so lots of people around the world come and participate in that and then every august now is the adidas elbrus world race it's called okay and this is basically trail running it's for it's for long distance runners (laughs) i'll say and there are five different distances of races um but people from all over the world come for that, those that week of events as well, kill you, really kill you, really, really kill you, <laughs> make you wish you'd never tried. Yeah, yeah, but and like, bury you standing. I had never heard of those, you know. But like, I, it kind of shows uh, this place is on the map, you know. For people. Andrew, Andrew, which yeah. one are we going to sign up for? I think we owe it to our listeners for you to do one of the races. Oh man, just do the short one. Do you have the distances? I could do it like mic'd up. I don't have yeah. them on me, sorry. <laughs> That's all people want is a good solid couple hours of you panting. That, that would be <laughs> good <back>. comedy. <laughs> no, actually, I ran a half marathon last year, and I heard about there. someone, a few people said there's a race around Elbrus that's like 
a 70 mile race like uh around the base or something that's it that's the world race one of the ultra ultra marathons yeah ultra marathon races which doesn't really appeal to me personally but i admire yeah from a distance yeah it's really cool on the map baby that's it yeah it's definitely on the map and i think i mean part of the impetus for this this whole podcast and our our hope our earnest hope and our sense is that the North Caucasus will increasingly be a, a destination um, that it can open up and be something that people around the world can share in more and more. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's pretty cool. All right. Now, Eli, I have a question. Bring it on. Do you know what glamping is? Uh, I not only know what glamping is, I have. Fr- <laughs> Are you a glamper? I have friends. No. I'm not a glamper. I just, did I clip on that? No, I'm, I'm not a glamper, but I have friends who have built a glamper. Wow. I mean, so, they themselves, this is my friend. I'm going to shout out to Dan and Kristen in Washington yeah. state and their own glamper. So let's, let's backpedal here. How would you define glamping? Well, it is an elision of two words, camping and glam or glamour. Uh-huh. So it's, it's, so glamping is basically like, from my understanding of it, it's like camping with style and comfort. So yes. Yeah. There, there's, you know, there's ultralight, there's backpacking, there's kind of the survival thing, but then you also have the car camping thing. You might be like, Oh, I do that. I go car camping. But a lot of car camping is just like sloppy, throw it in the trunk, like, Un, like explode your life out onto the turf and just kind of sit in your chair. This is not that. This is like it's it's uh, it's borders on cutesy. You know, the, yeah. things are are designed and match anyway. And uh, and it that's all I have to say about that. Okay, so it kind of when most people think of camping, the goal is to kind of get away from everything, including <laughs> technology and people and just to get in the middle of nowhere um so glamping i i think it was about two and a half years ago i first heard somebody use that word term and i Mm -hmm. had no idea what they were talking about Um, on the outside looking in but uh this is funny l bruce got a shout out uh in a, a recent um article in the telescope uh, uh, yes. Magazine and, uh, newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a place on the top of Elbrus that was mentioned as one of the top glamping winter places in the world. No way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yes. Yeah, so Dan and Kristen, the bar has been raised. We're waiting for you. Yeah. Bring that glamper. They, they took a little camper, like a tiny little camper and they glammed it up. They like his wife's a designer, like graphic designer, and she did like cute little things, and so all matched the curtains or whatever, and it was really nice. They took out the old like mustard shag carpeting and put in whatever. So, um, so I think I think they did that because he wanted to go camping with her more often. And nice, you got to know your audience. What a guy! What a guy! Um, yeah. So listen to this. Um, the, basically, this article was published. We'll have this linked in the show notes about the top places in the world for uh, winter glamping, snow glamping. (laughs) And the author, uh, she talks about, so on Mount Elbrus, 
uh, at the base camp where all the climbers, they acclimatize and get used to um, the elevation before ascending. Um, 12,000 feet. Mm-hmm. There's all these basically, um, they're not hotels, but they're, um, I think they call is it capsules they call them? Barrel they, huts. But it's basically, barrel huts is what they're called. Um, but it's basically all these uh, like uh, c- cylindrical shaped yeah. um, things. It looks kind of like a an oil drum or a, the back of a, <laughs> a silo. Yeah, silo. Uh, but sideways that people stay in uh, as they acclimatize. Well, so listen to what uh, this author says. She says, with an unmatched global wow factor. Oh, boy. Is this basically barrel hut, the Leap Rus 3912 in Kabardino, Bulgaria, Russia. Oh. This is at the base camp, and it says, this unique for Russia and the whole world hotel for climbers skiers and mountain enthusiasts is located at 3,912 meters on the Southern glacier of Mount Elbrus in Russia's Caucasus mountain range. Now, um, so this is like the, the hotel. So it's a, I thought the barrel pods or whatever were just kind of like you sign up with the forest service and you just throw your sleeping bag down while you acclimatize. But there's an actual like hotelish type things in some of them is what I you're mean, telling me. They're big, that most of them are very bare bones. It's not at all about okay. glamping. But, more like, but more this like hostels. One, yes, yes, exactly like hostels. This one is uh, hostel. more fancy. And she says, the design of the Leaperus Hotel brings to mind space capsules that were specially designed and manufactured by the Italian company Leap Factory. And she just talks about how uh, it has solar <laughs> power uh, that cool. provides electricity and different things, you know, sustainability, environmental compatibility. Uh-huh. Um, that sounds pretty glammy. She Glampy. says the interior design makes you feel like you're in a futuristic movie and panoramic windows give you stunning view. Um, so I had never heard of that one specifically. I, again, like the next time I'm up there at base camp, I'm going to look for the world's worst outhouse and Andrew, the world's Andrew drops best, best winter glamping. That's right. Andrew drops it like he visits uh, uh, two number three. <laughs> you know, next time I'm up there, when I'm there next week. It's part of my um, health regime. I just got to go breathe some low oxygen for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyways, that's pretty cool. That is cool. Maybe I'll take my wife there. We'll both sit there at dinner and be like panting just <laughs> just because like we're out of breath. Just we'll be like nauseous and dizzy. Like, darling, isn't this view? Ugh. Anyway. Well, at least you know where to send her if she asks you where the bathroom is. <laughs> you see that that icy staircase that reminds you of the two towers from Lord of the Rings? Just climb up that thing. Oh, man. All right. Yeah. So, so Leap Roos. Yeah. Um, listeners, if you're interested in learning more about glamping, um, <laughs> and uh, go to glamping.com. It, I was checking out their website. It's like a real deal. They're like a All legit right. company. You're and acting like you don't go there all the time, like you're not subscribed. Come on, Andrew. I'm Out telling you, I heard that mentioned in a conversation two years ago, and I've ne- that was the only time I've ever heard it mentioned by somebody. So, like, uh-huh. this is new to me. So, especially our non-Western listeners, if you're, like, one of our local Russian or Caucasus friends, this is something often we do in the English language. We combine two words into a new word. So, we have glamour and camping, and we made it into glamping. Do you think they don't do that in Russian? You know what? I would love to learn about that if you do that in Russian. But that's I kind of feel like 
Our teachers, I can just see them being like quickly shaking their head like, no, 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 we don't do that. No. We need to ask. But maybe our, they do. I guarantee our younger friends could give us the, the down low on that. Because um, yeah. I'll tell you, they have no problem smashing consonants together. I tried to say a word today. Anyway, <laughs> I won't go and do it. It was like V. It was a sound like V, S, G, S. I was like three or four in a row. I could, it just kept, it's for whipped cream. I couldn't say it. <laughs> Important word to say, man. That's awesome. Anyway. All right. Um, okay. So we're going to do a little pivot here. Um, so we've mentioned in recent episodes, we've talked about the role of the North Caucasus in, or in Russian literature. We had um, a real fascinating interview with uh, one of my Russian literature professors, Russian language professors, Lucina. Um, and I uh, just want to uh, dovetail on that today. Piggyback on that. That's what I want to do. Piggyback on Those that. Are- both great references yeah. using animals. Nice. <laughs> yes. Um, but Elbrus has a place in Russian literature and poetry. Um, Indeed. Yeah. It so, must. Yeah. And so we mentioned in the interview with Lucina how the two most famous Russian poets are Pushkin and Lermontov, Alexander Pushkin and Mikhail Lermontov. And uh, Pitigorsk, the city that Eli and I live in, is famous all over Russia because that's where Lermontov lived most of his life. And then he eventually died there as well. Wait um, a minute. Lermontov lived most of his life here. He, he lived most of his writing career in Pitigorsk. Okay. Yeah. Maybe most Didn't, of his short adult life. Okay. All right. Go on. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, Pushkin and Stop Lermontov. Interrupting. Yeah, no, they wrote, extensively about the Caucasus and with several different mentions to L. Bruce, as did other authors. So, uh, listeners, we're going to, we're going to have a, a list of basically poems that talk about L. Bruce and the Caucasus linked in the show notes. Um, some of it's in Russian, some of it's in English. I want to read you a short one that it's, it's about the Caucasus, but if Pushkin wrote it, Alexander Pushkin. And I want you to, as I'm reading this, think that I'm, re- I'm talking from the perspective of being Mount Elbrus or being on top of Mount Elbrus. So get your, get your hot cup of whatever. You got to snuggle down in a puppy chair. Andrew, lean nice close to that mic so we get that, the boom of your voice. There we go. Okay. okay. I'm ready. Yeah. Um, so this is an, an English translation, of course, of this Russian poem, but it's written in more classic, older English, but it's, it's pretty, um, it has a really nice sound to it. So think about, yeah, I'm just going to read this to you. So this is... What's the poem called? It's called The Caucasus. <laughs> there you go. Kafkaz. Um, right. Uh-oh, my computer froze. No, don't tell me. No, my my internet page for us. Here we go. Okay. Listeners, we had a uh, a bad experience recording <laughs> recently. <laughs> hey, what Mandy. What the heck is that? How you doing? Okay. Is that an autoplay video on Here the internet? Go. Horrible. All right. Can you hear me okay? Yes. I was trying to get snuggled down with my hot cup of coffee in that person's heart. All right. I'm ready. All right. Here we go. The Caucasus lies before my feet. I stand where glaciers gleam beside a precipice rock ribbed 
an eagle that has soared from off, from off some distant cliff. Lawless as I sweeps through the radiant air, here I see streams at their sources upwelling, the grim avalanches unrolling and swelling. The soft cloudy convoys are stretched forth below, tattered by thronging mad torrents descending. Beneath them the naked rocks downward are bending. Still deeper the wild shrubs and sparse herbage, herbage grow. But yonder the forests stand verdant in flora, and birds are a twitter in choiring chorus. Yonder cliff-nested are dwelling of mortals. There pasture the lambs in sweet-blossoming meadows. There couch the herds in the cool-deepening shadows. There roar the Aragua's blue-sparkling waters, and lurketh the bandit, safe-hidden lone caverns, where Terek, wild-sporting, is cutting the azure. It leaps and it howls like some ravening beast. These are rivers it's talking about, by the way, the Terek and Aragua. At first sight of feeding through grating of iron, it roars on the shore with a furious purring. It licks on the pebbles with eagerest greed, vain struggle and rancor and hatred, alas. Tis enchained and subdued by the unheeding mass. The end. Oh, I was caught up in reverie with my eyeshot. Hold on. Coffee shop. Clap. Back to it. Back to it. Um. Yeah. There you go. There was nothing about Elbers. Or you? It was just about the Caucasus in general. It was, this was about the Caucasus, but okay, no. the, from the best I can tell, it's written from the perspective of Elbert being Elbert. Oh, that's what you said. I for, totally forgot that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would make sense with those rivers, wouldn't it? Those are the rivers. Are they coming down the from? Terek, Terek is through the North Caucasus, goes through the North Caucasus, the mountain. The Aragua is in Georgia on the other side of uh-huh, the, uh-huh. the river in Georgia. Yeah. That was great, man. Yeah, Translating so like, poetry, it's amazing. I, oh, don't, I get suspicious when a translated poem rhymes, don't you? I know. Like, I, wait I'm minute. like, how did that happen? <laughs> What you sneaky translator? <laughs> Sorry, uh, no, it's nice though. It's good. I get like the kind of takeaway I have from that is like how Elbrus looks down on everything else in the Caucasus, but has an amazing view of all the incredible beauty. You yeah, know, good call, good call. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, listeners, we'll have um, a link for Russian poems, some translated, some not. Um, about Elbrus and about the Caucasus. Um, so yeah, for those of you who are interested in that, check that out. Check it out. Thank you. For sure. Um, and then, uh, you know what? Let's see. Oh, so that mentioned one last small fact about Elbrus, and then we'll kind of wrap this up. Um, Elbrus has 22 glaciers on the mountain. Boom. Yeah. Man. So you can see, there's several of them that you can see kind of from the mountain and in other parts from other distances, but they feed into three different rivers that kind of come out off the base and run through different parts of the Caucasus. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Captain Obvious. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So yeah, that's, um, that's kind of, do you have any other insights or things you wanted to say about about Elbrus? Speak now or hold your peace. Forever hold your peace, Eli. Yeah. I had heard actually just like one little tidbit about this piece of mythology from Pitygorsk. And I told my son and he wanted me to tell him the story of this. So I totally embellished it, made it up. And I don't know know what the real story is, but in our city, there are two little mountains. There's a really little mountain, which is really a hill called Mashuk. And then 
On the other side of the city is Beshtau, which is sort of our crowning um, piece of of turf, which is in a Turkish word that means five peaks. Actually, that's what Pitigorsk means. Piat Gor Gor means mountain. Five Piat is five. So it's this one mountain that's got five little peaks on it. Yeah. And um, anyway, someone told me that there's a story that uh, Beshtau fell in love with Mashuk, who is this, you know, gentle, green, verdant, green-sloped mountain. Yeah. Um, but Besh- Mashuk's father was Elbrus, and he wouldn't let them marry. And so Beshtau got in a fight with Elbrus and clove his head, his crown, in the fight. And that's why there is a cleft taken out of the top of his head. I went on and on with my son. You know, I did take the whole walk to school to tell him this great story. About that's awesome. It. Yeah. So uh, I don't know more about it. If someone knows, call in or send us an email. Yeah. I've, you know, our, some of our professors told us that as well. Um, and one that's, uh, that's awesome. You brought that up. The, the only thing I would add was it's the legend is they all turned into mountains and then, um, Mashuk, the smaller one, the the lover who was n- not united with Bestow, she's still grieving, and she cries tears of mineral mineral water. With, Ma- oh. with Mashuk has springs of mineral Slay water. Me. That's co- it coming That's off the side perfect. of the mountain. Yeah. Is so, anyways, weeping. it's a really cool local legend. It is a cool local legend, except that her tears smell like rotten eggs most of the place. <laughs> <laughs> but we won't hold that against her. It's a bitter loss. Yeah. Um, um, that's a great oh, way that's, to, romantic way to finish. <laughs> you smell of rotten eggs. Um, yeah. Great, man. Yeah, so uh, listeners, um, I would assume most of you are like us, who like, you, you're just kind of normal people. You like seeing beautiful things. Um, you travel sometimes. People are like, uh, you guys are not that normal. But <laughs> anyway, go on. Uh, I think all of us assume like we're like the normal person. <laughs> I stopped assuming that a long time ago. I've, I've been <laughs> you're, you're disabused probably, of that notion. Probably wise. But um, I do think that's what most of us think. Yeah. But um, anyways, we would love, we would love to hear if you have questions about Elbrus. Um, again, like this is like the main draw of the North Caucasus. So most most foreign tourists that come to the North Caucasus region, some part of their trip is going to Mount Elbrus. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I hope I hope you learned. Something and I haven't new. even been there yet. I've we're going on a year and a half living here. I haven't even been to Elbrus yet. What? I know. Are you serious? I'm. Ser- I've never even been there. I mean, I've seen it crossing at McDonald's, which is you know scratching the. No, we got to go though. I got to go. Andrew's respect is just, I can just see it falling off a cliff right in front of my face. I feel like we just need to not release these episodes. (laughs) I have never claimed anything in these episodes. You're the one who's been to- Thank goodness for me. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't have said it any better. Look, can we all just, if you want to thank Andrew for himself, could you please email in when you, just write a quick email. I'd be like, Andrew- Thank goodness for you, man. And we'll see how many of those we get. If we get five, if we get five, um, I don't know. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll do something. I'll, we'll do something promise, special. Promise people some more gifts. We'll mail them. I'll <laughs> belly dance on the on the podcast. Oh my! 
I didn't. Which only Andrew will see. Is that what you've been learning in your Les Ginka dance lessons? <laughs> no, but at the same dance studio, they not only teach belly dance, but tribal belly dance, which I can't imagine and don't want to imagine what the difference between be- belly and tribal. Anyway. Oh. Um, so I think we better wrap this up, land the plane. How we get so far from my podcast outlines, I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm here for, man. So I'm here All for. right. Well, um, listeners, be on the lookout. We've got some really cool interviews coming up. We're really hoping to get more interviews with local people and foreigners who travel into the region so you can Actually, hear not just from us. I'm going to go ahead and say this because even though I haven't released it yet, our, in, our plan now starting January 2018 is that we are going to be releasing three episodes a month, no longer two. We have upgraded our storage plan, and we are going to start putting out three, and including just more interviews in between the long-winded episodes of us just talking. Yeah. Yeah, so be on the lookout. All right, and um, I think that's it. Yeah, listeners, check out the show notes. Again, we we have relevant stuff in the show notes for you that we talked about. Um, check us out at our, um, website, which is caucustalk.com, C-A-U-C-A-S talk.com. I was just this week spelling caucuses for somebody and it took me three attempts. (laughs) Hey man, it's the price of fame. Yeah. And our, our email is podcast at caucustalk.com. And of course you can, um, you can find us in the iTunes store, subscribe to our podcast. Um, if you're enjoying this. Um, leave us a review, a writing, um, and just reach out. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas, right. um, for a new, new two to three episode miniseries and the That's like. That's right. Um, yeah. So listeners, thanks for listening. This was episode 15 B of caucus talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. And we will see you when you get here.